Welcome to Bandit's Keep. I'm Daniel. This week we're going to talk a little bit more about OD&D with Chainmail, some of the changes that I'm making as I playtest through this to make the game a little bit more, have a little more depth, I guess it's the best way to say it. But first, let's get a call from Jason from the Nerds RPG Variety Cast because he talks about some of these things. Hey Daniel, Jason here. Just listened to your sword ver- Magic Sword vs. Plate Mail, whatever it was, your latest podcast, and I really enjoyed it. As far as letting other people use Magic Swords... Is that because you end up with so many magic swords in your game? <laughs> I I don't necessarily have a huge problem with that. I mean, magic swords, it, you know, they, they were one of the big benefits of being a fighter, right? A fighting man. But, yeah, as far as the idea that, you know, there was actually some thought put behind chain mail, definitely. When we look at these older games, I know a lot of people, you don't do this, or at least I haven't really heard you say it. But I've heard people say, oh, well, they're a mess, and they just threw things together and didn't play test them. But these TSR games, they did put some, especially the early things, just because they're not organized very well, there was a ton of thought and effort put into these things. You know, they weren't just making up numbers and throwing them on a page without ever trying them out, you know. So, very cool. And, yeah, I don't have a whole lot else to say other than, I'd love to get you and Taylor back on Cerebravore for a for a catch up, but where we're at now with Chainmail with OD and D, so maybe we'll have to schedule that. Anyhow, I'll talk to you later. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate uh, the feedback. So the magic sword thing, yes, because you end up with a lot of magic swords is one of the reasons. Uh, but the other reason is because as I'm playing through the game, and, and I, I keep I keep <laughs> moving forward, then backing up on this idea of some kind of a balance, and I know that like. In general, balance is one of those things that a lot of old school people are like, things aren't balanced. But the reality is, is that if you make a class that is just, or a situation where a class just isn't fun to play, then nobody will play it. And that means one of two things to me. Either you get rid of that class, which is an option, or you see what you can do to tweak it. And since I have a human magic user basically in the party, and the magic user compared to an elven magic user is severely limited until you get to eighth ninth level where the elf then gets it stops right they reach their level cap so through the rest of the time period they're kind of limited and unless you're really playing a lot and people can level up within you know a couple of months of playing you've got people playing for half a year before they get to eighth level even at you know uh, an accelerated rate that you should have if you actually use the treasure from od and d and not some of the way these new modules are set up but so what i thought was what what was the reason for the the magic users and stuff not being able to use the magic swords? And I think balance-wise, the reason was that's the special ability of a fighter, right? Just like you say. And I easily handled that with clerics, I think, by just saying clerics can't use magic swords because they can't use swords because it has the soul of an elf in it and it's against their religion, it's blasphemous, whatever. So that kind of justifies why clerics aren't using magic swords and kind of balances that out. Why aren't magic users using magic swords, you know, and other weapons? Well, because they're not fighters, they're not trained for that. But now you have a magic user who's accomplished what would have to be third level, right? So they've they've gone on 10 to 12 adventures or 10 to 12 sessions anyways. And at this point, I think they've been in enough combat usually that they should have something. So my solution of allowing a magic user to fight with any weapon, but they automatically lose one, quote, man, of combat means that until they fight as two quote men then they can't do it at all and they don't do that until they reach third level this means that in theory the magic user could pick up a bow let's say 
at first level, but they'd fight as zero men, which means they have no chance of hitting something. So it's not this weird restriction like they can't even touch it. Sure, go ahead, take a shot with the bow. You just won't hit anybody. That's just the way it is. You're just not trained in it. By the time you reach third level, you can use it. And I think this is not going to break the game because by the time, again, by the time the Magic user gets to the third level, the your fighting uh, your fighters should be up there. Your other characters should be up at higher levels. People have got magic items, magic weapons. So it kind of works out. Like we had reached the point where we had so many magic swords, they were already handing them out to hirelings, which is cool. And that's what you should do. But I thought, you know what? Let's just test this out. And so far, it's been pretty cool. You know, the magic user is... The Elven Magic user is still better than the regular Magic user as far as fighting, because they don't, first of all, they can use any weapon right from the beginning. They can also f wear Magic Armor. And also, they're better even further up, because they're fighting at, you know, right now I have an Elven Magic user that's fighting the same as the Human Magic user, but in fact fights as one, quote, man better, because they don't have that restriction. So the Elves still get that benefit, you know, that balances out with their level cap, but the Human Magic user is not restricted you know we have this fifth level magic user and there's this amazing magic sword and they can't even touch it or whatever you know as as you might interpret the rules if you're being like hardcore about it in some ways this is like hyperborea where you can learn new weapons you know you just have to put the time in to do it i think it's like every four levels or something you can actually learn a weapon that you weren't wasn't one of your favorite weapons that you would have started with so you can in theory in hyperborea get a magic user to use a sword they just have to train with it right and I had a few magic, a few people do that. I think the Warlock, uh, she ended up picking up some kind of a weapon that she couldn't use at first. So she suffered the penalty for a couple of levels and then finally took the, the at the whatever level it was applicable, was able to be trained in the sword and then basically was able to use it. So there's lots of different ways you can implement it. I think for me, just the simple way is the way I'm doing it. Another way would be to have it, it take X amount of time or levels or combats to become proficient in a weapon. And until then, you fight with a terrible penalty. However you want to operate it would be fine, <laughs> I guess. So there's two other things I want to talk about here, though. One is that when we look at the fantasy combat table, and this has actually been one of those things that has been a big discussion, going back to the idea of uh, talking with Taylor again. I think for the most part, and I don't want to put words in his mouth, but I think he's mostly phased away from the fantasy combat table in favor of kind of combining it with the man-to-man -man table thus not all be lim being limited to the creatures that are listed there. I'm keeping the fantasy combat table the way it is because I love the idea of, again, the barbarian, you know, in a loincloth fighting the demon barehanded if they can, you know, because they're high enough level, they're Conan, they're whatever. So I love fantasy combat for that. I love the narration of it. But I do look at some things. Like, for instance, when we look at things where people are like, okay, well, a, a, a white is on the table, right? We have whites and ghouls listed. So that means if you're fighting a white on the fantasy combat table. First of all, I don't fight ghouls on fantasy combat in, in my game. So I immediately removed that from the beginning, but you're fighting a white. That's cool. But when we look at what a lot of people have translated out as other creatures should be, they think the, uh, a mummy should fight like a white and a vampire should fight like a white, right? A specter should fight like a wraith. It's okay. That's fine. Except for the fact that now I've got this hero who can basically take on a vampire just as easily as they can a white. And that didn't make sense to me. It was kind of like bouncing off me. And then I thought, well, let's, again, once again, let's look at mechanics that are already in the game. We already have hero minus one, hero plus one, stuff like that. So why not use that for the creatures too? So what I've done, and I'm probably not going to run through all of these, but what I've basically done is gone in and I have modified the creatures to fight on the tables that I think make the sense that they should 
with, with adjustments. So for instance, when we look at whites, they fight in fantasy combat as white. A wraith fights in fantasy combat as a wraith, right? They're both on the table normally. But a mummy fights as a white plus two. A specter fights as a wraith plus one. A vampire, a white plus three. Then we have other things like you notice that they had, this is looking at like the Jason Vay stuff and other things people that combined together. They have things like cockatrice fighting as a rock. You know, a cockatrice and a rock are exactly the same. So I made a cockatrice fight as a rock minus one. I made a Medusa fight, not just as a treant, but as a treant minus two. A manticore as a treant minus three. How about a hydra? Hydra fights exactly the same as a dragon. No, a dragon is now dragon minus three. What I meant to say was a hydra is a dragon minus three. This is Daniel from the future. Back to it. A chimera, dragon minus two. So what we end up being able to do is use the same table that we're using, but just make modifications, which is already something that the system does. So I think this is going to work out pretty well the way it's laid out here. So for instance, troll and ogre are not the same anymore. Trolls are tro uh, ogre plus two on the fantasy table. The other thing I've done is I've really, uh, I'm leaning into the idea that some creatures just can only be fought on the fantasy table. And I know that's probably a turnoff for some people, but again, this is part of what highlights the fighter. The fighter gets to that heroic level first. They can fight them, some of these creatures even when other people can't. And again, magic swords allow you to fight on the table earlier, both for fighters and for elves of any, of any class. So the magic sword, again, being a fighter's main tool, is going to allow them to be the ones that can challenge some of these creatures. So if they and if they end up you know engaging with a white, which is a level trainer and a really deadly monster, but a hero can engage that white without being drained of levels during fantasy combat, the way the rules work and take it out if they fight it one-on-one. -on -one. So it gives the fighter that highlight where they can really stand out. So that's one change that I've made. The other thing that just, and I haven't tried this yet, so I'm looking for some input. I mean, obviously I look for input on anything. If anybody wants to call the show, there's information in the show notes as to how you can reach out. You can hit the little button to talk to me on Anchor. You can join my Discord server. There's a link to it there and leave me a message there. Anyways, the other thing I'm doing is I had a player the other day, they were Basically, the scenario was there was only two player characters currently alive. They had 61 young children they were rescuing, plus about 10 henchmen. They were in this tower, and on the top of the tower was a giant. And they knew from encountering the giant earlier that the giant was throwing rocks. That's how they lost some of the party members. And they knew he only had two rocks left because one of the characters had gone up there with a levitate spell. So they were like, the elf magic user said, well, you know what? What if I go up there and draw the giant's attention? Uh, you know, can I, is there something I can do to make myself more defensible? Is there a defensive action? Because they knew that they weren't going to be able to kill the giant before the giant killed them. But they're thinking maybe a defensive action. I could like take a few blows and then everybody could get away. And there's not really, right? The the defense that you have is kind of factored into your hit dice, your, your fighting ability. Basically, the higher you go up in level, the better you are at defending yourself. Thus, your hit dice go up and that's basically all factored into the system. But as I was thinking about it more after the game, I thought, you know, what if I allowed the person who was defending to just roll as if they were attacking, but whatever hits they got came away from hits from the enemy? That might be okay. But then enemies don't always defend the same way they attack. Does that really play out? And then actually this morning before I record this podcast, I was thinking about the man-to-man -man system. And the man-to-man -man system has the parry action. When you parry you give up one of your attacks effectively in man-to-man -man, 
and you give a minus two against one of the attacks of the attacker, the, the person you're fighting. So what this means is if you are, if you fight, let's say like this elf would have been as three men and the, you're fighting somebody else who fights as three men, you could sacrifice all of your attacks as parries and every one of their three attacks would be at a minus two, right? So you could effectively go on full defense. So how would that work in troop combat or in abstract combat? And what I'm thinking is the same. If you want to give up your attack dice, any one of the attack dice you give up gives a minus two penalty to one of the enemy's attacks towards you. So let's think about how that translates. We have a giant who's eight hit dice and he's attacking his armored foot. So he's rolling eight dice with a six hitting. The elf has three hit dice. So there's a pretty good chance that he's going to go down if this giant hits him in, in troop combat. Of course, if they fight in fantasy combat, which they could do, then the elf might hold out a few rounds, right? But they're still probably going to go down. If they just want to hold the giant back for a few minutes, maybe what they could do is take their three men, their three attacks, and put them against the giant. Subtract That means the giant's going to effectively roll eight dice, but their three highest dice are going to be minus two. With a minus two, obviously on a d6, they can't hit. So that effectively takes three dice out of the running. I don't, I'm not a master of the odds, but it feels like that would be a good way to keep yourself from getting hit. <laughs> so I think I'm going to try that next time. I don't know if I'm going to allow it to be variable, like you can spend a certain number of attacks, or if I'm just going to make it so that it is what it is, which is you either fully defense or you fully attack. I'm not sure. I'd love to get some feedback, but it seems like that will work and still work within the same rule set that we have going on here. It gives you the idea to parry. The other good thing there is that if I introduce this early on, then if I am using a lot of the troop type combat, people will get used to the idea that they can parry, which they might want to then use if they're in man-to-man -man combat. So I'd be curious, as always, what you think. Anybody listening, let me know. Also, I have updated the the playtest document, if you want to call it that, for the uh, OD&D with Chainmail, Unchained as I'm calling it. I uh, will put a link to that in the show notes below. It's going to be on my Patreon, but not behind the... You have to be a Patreon to get it. It'll be in the public part of it. So... I'll put a link to the Patreon where you can pick that up. I will also put a link to my Discord. Like I said, you can join the Discord to chat. We're having a lot of fun over there. And of course, you can just call the show using the link there if you don't want to go to the Discord and send me a message. Either way, I would love to hear from you, and I will talk to you soon.